from the Mercy One Studio. Making it personal with Bishop William Johnson on Iowa Catholic Radio and iowacatholicradio.com. Welcome to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. I'm Kelly Mesher Collins with the Diocese of Des Moines. On today's show, we're visiting with COVID-19 survivors, Rich and Kelly Rondo of Our Lady's Immaculate Heart Parish in Ankeny. Rich's case was so severe that he's put in a medically induced coma. But before we get to today's interview, let's find out what's on the bishop's mind. Okay, and I don't want to induce uh, medical comas for anybody here on the show. <laughs> but uh, Actually, we're in the middle of the furlough for the Pastoral Center, kind of our solidarity right. with uh, those who've had to make sacrifices and uh, have had setbacks in their life, and so that spirit of solidarity, uh, so our own employees, but also being fiscally responsible. So so I, I don't know if I'm breaking the spirit of furlough since this is being uh, prepared, this, uh, this show beforehand. So, But uh, kind of conscious today, the 17th, the day when, uh, by all rights, Dustin Lee Honkin is going to be executed in Indiana at federal prison, and so our hearts and minds for all who are affected by this, his, the victims of his, uh, his crime, uh, that... Uh, this may not bring their healing that they seek, but at least maybe uh, we ask peace for them and peace for all touched in any way, and that uh, he might uh, see the Lord face to face. I'm conscious of uh, the 1957 uh, executed uh, criminal uh, Jacques Fesch in Paris. Uh, Jacques was a uh, uh, committed armed robbery and uh, slayed a uh, policeman in the 1950s. Uh, was ultimately convicted and sentenced to death by the guillotine. But in, in prison, he had a conversion of sorts, and a marvelous through the intercession of St. Therese of Lisieux. And uh, his brother, as he says, his uh, religious uh, brother friend with whom he wrote in his correspondence, Light Over the Scaffold, contains those letters. Uh, he was a father uh, of a little girl. And uh, so his whole coming to Jesus in all this and... Uh, embracing his his destiny in this way and uh, actually has been beatified by the church so mm-hmm. his cause for canonization is underway so the church does believe that uh, god's mercy endures forever and that people can have the opportunity to to meet god's grace uh, used to be we thought that by facing the reality of the death penalty we could accelerate that for them now i think our, our sensibilities again not that we have to to execute people to protect society is that we would allow them that chance to to go that mm-hmm. that path that would carry them there schools plans like uh like our all schools uh, the return to learn plans have been filed with the state our parochial schools are well uh, ahead of the curve i think in terms of looking at being on site uh, thoroughly as much mm-hmm. as possible unless uh, circumstances preclude that. Uh, I know some of the pro- public schools are thinking one or two days in the Des Moines metro area on site, but the, the Catholic schools are hoping to uh, have everybody there. And so they're kind of intrepid, and I've seen the uh, protocols and the provisions that are there, I think, uh, affording the maximum reasonable amount of safety possible. Again, we can't have an, uh, an airtight guarantee, but uh, I commend our administrators and teachers who've been working feverishly during the during the summer no pun intended sorry that was a bad choice of words but uh, uh, that uh, we'll look and see as uh, we're, we're on the cusp of that as well uh, we think about the kind of social implications of uh, what uh, how we are inclusive and in thinking about people some US Catholic actors actually in Washington State Kansas are working to ensure that immigrants have the access to services and information in the wake of the COVID pandemic. La Casa Ogar and Nuestra Casa of Washington State organized their immigrant and Latino communities. Most of the Spanish-speaking were not receiving information on the shelter-in-place orders, so they created these updates in Spanish. 
Spanish using TV and radio, just as uh, Iowa Catholic Radio has made that possible for everyone to receive the same message, and Catholic Charities in Northern Kansas using YouTube in this regard as well. We're conscious also as we think about the right to asylum. Bishop Mark Seitz of El Paso uh, a few weeks ago walked across the USA-Mexico border at Ciudad Juarez to meet with women seeking asylum in the United States and listen to their stories. He's joined up with the Hope Border Institute to help pregnant migrant women in Juarez and met with other organizations also creating a fund that will help and support them who are trapped in Ciudad Juarez as a result of my uh, migration policies. So he's made a statement that respect for truth demands that I speak up, that this fundamental right to asylum here at the border really has effectively ended. And so kind of being prophetic, Bishop Seitz. All right, we're going to take a quick break and return to welcome COVID-19 survivors, Rich and Kelly Rondo of Our Lady's Immaculate Heart Parish in Ankeny. You're listening to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson on Iowa Catholic Radio and the Spirit Catholic Radio Network. Hi, this is Father John Ricardo, and I want to thank Caldwell Parish Funeral Home and Crematory for underwriting Christ is the Answer. Losing a loved one, as we know, is never easy, and it can leave you feeling lost and even hopeless at times. But Caldwell Parish helps ease that burden by sincerely caring both about your loss and about your faith. Caldwell Parish Funeral Home and Crematory is Des Moines' only Catholic-owned and operated funeral home. Their number is 515-276-0551 or online at caldwellparish.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and John Leonetti in the Morning is provided by Blessman International. According to a 2019 Global Food Security Report, more than 820 million people in the world are hungry today. None of us can help all of them. Most of us can help one. One child. Your gift of $1 a day through Blessman International provides a child in South Africa with a daily hot meal, place of safety, educational experience, and spiritual development. To get started, go to BlessmanInternational.org and click Sponsor a Child. Welcome back. I'm Kelly Mesher Collins with the Diocese of Des Moines. On today's show, we're visiting with COVID-19 survivors Rich and Kelly Rondo of Our Lady's Immaculate Heart Parish in Ankeny. Rich's case was so severe that he was put in a medically induced coma and on a ventilator and thought he wouldn't make it. So, Rich and Kelly, we are particularly glad that you are with us today, and thank you for taking time to, to share a little bit of your experience. Obviously, it's very much in the forefront of our consciousness these days, as I think all of us are coming to know people who've been uh, affected with the coronavirus and whether they fully uh, manifested COVID-19 uh, symptoms. But for you, it was a pretty scary uh, journey along the way. But just a, first a little bit, are, how, how long have you been members of Our Lady's Immaculate Heart? Kelly, you want to take that one? 1992. <laughs> so you're almost founding members. Right? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> you, you've seen priests come and go, right? But uh, yep. kind of a constant and all that. So, yeah, very good. And uh, uh, Father Michael Amadeo, were you very close to him prior to this, or did this experience uh, really kind of deepen that relationship? Um, for me, I was talking to Father Michael all last year to help me um, get through my cancer journey that I was um, experiencing. And we would meet about once a month, and he was just a good support and a good sounding board and helped me look at things different than uh, a nursing standpoint. Okay, because you are a nurse yourself. Right. And that yep. uh, obviously was very important in, uh, in kind of uh, addressing things. Uh, specialization as a nurse or... Um, I work in maternity. Maternity, okay. So yep. uh can often be a joyful thing, but uh, when it isn't, uh, it's a pretty dire situation. So so the cancer so far, uh, survivor, and uh, things are going well that for you? Or? Mm-hmm. 
Praise yes, God. They are. Well, praise yep. God. Let's keep that going too. <laughs> yes. But Father Michael, and you know, obviously, I associate with him. He's our vicar general for the diocese, but he's truly a pastor and a great listening heart and that gift. And mm-hmm. so I'm glad he was it. able to kind of expand your horizons and maybe see things of the, the mind and heart of Christ as well. So, uh, so. Uh, Rich, uh, this kind of whole experience unfolded. Had you been traveling, or do you have any sense of how you contracted COVID? <laughs> well, actually, it's kind of a bit ironic, whatever. Um, uh, my uh, mother-in-law um, lives in the Mill Pond here in Ankeny, and uh, she had uh, fallen out of bed uh, early in March, uh, the first week or so, and ended up uh, in the emergency room uh, uh, down at a, a local Des Moines hospital, and uh, Kelly and I doing what we can to, you know, help out, provide for her care, um, ended up spending, you know, basically the day there. Well, it, I got a feeling looking back at it, it wasn't the day to, to be there. Uh, the entire waiting room was packed with people that were coughing and hacking and all kinds of stuff going on. The ER was packed. It just, you know, the, the likelihood that that wasn't the place is, is probably uh, low. Um, mm-hmm. It could obviously have come from anywhere else, but at the end of the day, we ended up, you know, breaking out with symptoms within 12 hours of each other. So likely we were exposed at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that's the most, you know, likely place, but could have been, could have okay. been anywhere. Nobody okay. ever knows okay. for sure. And you're very discreet in not naming the hospital. So uh, that, that's appreciated. So we'll, we'll stay with that. But uh, so who first started noticing symptoms, uh, Kelly or you? Uh, I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I started out having um, the chills um, and a fever and then the severe body aches kicked in and it was so bad to a point that, the Tylenol wasn't helping with the body aches and I was in tears and Rich could understand why I was crying. I'm like, this has been the worst that I've ever experienced with body aches. And I just don't know if I'm going to be able to sleep tonight or be able to take this much longer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I went to bed and about three in the morning, uh, he woke up with similar symptoms as well. Oh, and so, you know, you're you're down for the count, and then he's uh, you know being symptomatic as well. So, how did things unfold from there? Rich, so, do you want to talk? Yeah. So, from my perspective, basically, what happened, you know, next was I broke out with a fever as well. So, at that point, we both have a fever, body aches, chills. Um, pretty obvious that we're sick. There's still very general symptoms, though, um, which is one of the challenges to, to figuring out, you know, whether we had COVID. And the other thing is this is all happening very, very early on in the pandemic or COVID journey, whatever we want to call it, you know, here in Iowa, things, you know, hadn't really changed much. And saying wearing a mask, work from home, that was all just, you know, coming to bear. So having those symptoms, though, and reading CDC websites like, we were both pretty certain, even though they were still pretty general, that that's what we had. Um, and so we began trying to get tested, but at the time, you know, test kits were, you know, very, very scarce. And we tried a multitude of ways and, and were unable to get tested. Um, but 
I so did. Kelly didn't have medical connections that got you in, in the door anywhere. No, no. Turn the <laughs> no. Turn the lock and say the magic word and, and get us tested. Um, you know, and as it turns out, really getting tested. As I look back at it, wouldn't have. I don't feel like would have mattered. Would have really changed a single thing in terms of how things unfolded, other than they now know you have it. Um, and you definitely need to stay isolated. But, and the reason I say that, you know, isn't, isn't a ding on the medical community. I have nothing but high praises for all the folks that were involved with my case. It's, they were learning too. All this was new. All this was learning. They were doing everything they could, but I'm sure people are aware even today, it's not like if you get tested positive, they have this you know, here's a well-regimented treatment plan that's going to keep you from, you know, becoming a severe case. It's it's still not there. So hindsight 2020, the testing probably wouldn't have even, you know, made a, made a difference, but we did try to get tested just so we had a sense. Mm-hmm. And speaking of senses, um, the next thing to go was our, our sense of taste and smell. Um, and that's what kind of sealed the deal for us, even though we weren't tested. Because neither of us had all the congestion in our sinuses. Our sinuses were perfectly clear, Hmm. yet we couldn't smell or taste a single thing. It just was gone. Um, And that was actually a new symptom um, that was kind of added at the the time. Mm Kind of like that uh, movie with Perfect Sense with Ewan McGregor and Ava Green where they... You know, the pandemic, people progressively lose their senses. But this is all too real. This was not a, a movie. So so were you beginning yep. to, to panic or begin to really kind of get agitated or fearful? Well, so, or? Then, yeah, so then the next thing that transpired for me, and it was kind of weird because as we talked about it as a couple and discussed it, we both thought that of the two of us, Kelly, if we had it, would be the one to end up in a more more likely to end up with a severe case of it um, and potentially on a ventilator and or passing away, quite honestly, because of her background, her medical history of uh, having asthma, cancer, lymph nodes removed, reducing her immune system. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was very concerned about her, but yet for some strange reason, and I. I believe it came from the spirit. I just had a sense I was going to end up with a very severe case right from the get go. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then about a week after the initial onset of symptoms, I started to develop a shortness of breath. Um, and at that point, given the inklings I had already, um, I, I did, you know, become quite concerned about where things were definitely going to be headed from here. So there was a kind of a spirit intuition not to be so uh, concerned for Kelly, whereas kind of this premonition or whatever that uh, you were going to the one who was going to walk through the valley of death and all of this. And now my focus turned to, I need to make sure, this is where my head was. I felt like I needed to do everything I possibly humanly could to make sure that, we were doing everything we could. So if I ended up passing away, my family wouldn't have to have all these second guesses. And that's where my head went. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So it wasn't grasping at straws. It was really solicitude for your family so that uh, to alleviate them of any uh, burden yep. of guilt. So whatever false medical guilt, treatment you know, was Psychological guilt, but not it, actual guilt. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So, so whatever so, could be done. So you really a, an acute sense of your uh, mortality, uh, that, uh, you know, that we're not meant for this world ultimately, but that that horizon was drawing closer for you. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and then uh, and then suddenly you're sedated, and uh, they've uh, installed the ventilator for you. So you were unconscious during that period. Is that right? How long did that last? Yep. So that lasted um, a period of seven days, um, <laughs> and you know, at the time, uh, the other thing I guess you know that I like to let make sure people know. Um, coming out of it as far as the learning is uh, that period of time between when the initial onset of shortness of breath and the ventilator medically induced coma came about, it was roughly 24 hours. So very, very quickly from my perspective um, and, you know, was on the vent for seven days, um, which I consider looking back an extreme blessing because, Lots of people with this disease that end up on the ventilator end up, you know, on it far longer, weeks, months, uh, have far more complications. Um, And so, you know, being able to be successfully pulled off the ventilator, which also was not a high percentage of people. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, I was the first person successfully uh, pulled off uh, the ventilator Mm -hmm. uh, at the hospital that I was at. And so I definitely consider that, and I know my wife does, uh, the, the first miracle that, that God offered us in this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if I might just inject here for our listeners here, uh, Iowa Catholic Radio and Spirit Catholic Radio, uh, that's a moment where I've been talking to people, you know, as they kind of think about these scenarios, anticipating what would their choice be. And there are those who saying, uh, I want to be able to continue to relate as much as possible. I don't want to be sedated in unconsciousness. And so given the, the prognosis and the likely benefit, I would rather not be put on a ventilator, but whatever means, mm-hmm. you know, oxygen tube and things. Others are like, no, give me everything. And kind of as you stated, uh, that you want yeah. to do that. And I think both of those avenues are ones that can be done in good faith. And so I think, you know, those are conversations we want to have, uh, especially with our healthcare proxy, our decision maker, which obviously for you is Kelly uh, Rich. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I think we can help our people. And, and that uh, so they're not thinking, well, he, we didn't put uh, Joe on the, on the ventilator because he said he did not want to do that, so that this is something that we've communicated. And, and again, I think that could be done in good faith. Kelly, while he's in those seven days, um, you and Father Michael or other support, but you've got COVID, so you're in quarantine. Yeah, I'm in quarantine. Um, We have three children that are grown and live in the area, and it was the time that I, you know, wanted my kids near me, um, wanted a hug from my kids because of what their dad was going through, and that couldn't happen. So I felt pretty abandoned, isolated, um, kind of felt like I knew what the leper uh, in the Bible might have felt like. Just kind of felt like nobody wanted to be around me. It was dangerous and kind of a helpless feeling because being a nurse, I wanted to be there and I was not allowed to. And that was a very hard thing for me to accept and to allow to happen. But I knew why it needed to be that way. It didn't make it any easier, but um, 
I, the first thing I did when I got to the hospital, when he was brought down by ambulance is the first, one of the first people I called was Father Michael. And he was very shocked and taken back by what I was telling him. And I was crying and probably sounding pretty hysterical. Um, He was, you know, I think he was speechless at first. And, um, you know, we were both kind of trying to calm each other down and, you know, figure out a way to, um, a game plan to help, you know, calm me down and get me onto a path where I could be um, not so falling apart in front of my own kids that were actually down there in their own cars looking at their mom crying and and sobbing in her car talking to Father Michael on her phone. Um, He was a very, um, it's a very calming voice. Um, He has a very calming presence about him. And speaking with him, as well as our former pastor, um, Father Steve Orr, um, the two of them were able to get me a little bit more focused on he's where he needs to be. He's going to get taken care of. We know Rich. He's a strong guy. He's a fighter. He's going to beat this. And I just kind of had to listen to both of those gentlemen say that to me and believe it. Mm-hmm. And then we had someone from our church family that I called next, who is a good friend of my husband's and m- myself as well. And I said, I'm really at a loss down here. I'm in trouble. My kids are in their car staring at me, crying hysterically. I can't be a mother to my own kids because I can't really be near them. And I need someone to come down and help with the situation. And I asked if she would come down to the hospital and she did. And she spent two hours standing outside my kids' car windows, trying to Mm -hmm. help them work through what was happening with their dad and their mom. And it was very comforting to watch that. Um, Even though I wished it was myself, um, she would be the next person that I would want to do that. And I was very grateful to Appreciate that, Kelly and Rich. We're going to ask you to yeah. stay with us past the break here, but uh, just that scene of Jesus, you know, behold your son, behold your mother, and the communion that was formed in all this. We're going to take a quick break. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and John Leonetti in the Morning is provided by Blessman International. The coronavirus has impacted lives in Iowa and around the world. This is especially true in rural South Africa, where COVID-19 restrictions have led to vulnerable children being hospitalized due to starvation. To combat this hunger, Blessman International now offers a program called One Child at a Time. You can sponsor a child in South Africa for $1 a day. Learn more at BlessmanInternational.org. BlessmanInternational.org. Is it time for a new roof? Then it could be time for you to get to know Bell Construction. Bell Construction is a roofing company entering its 30th year of business. They specialize in residential re-roofs, like commercial jobs, and have the experience to meet all of your roofing needs with personal service. With Bell Construction, the owner will come to your home or place of business in person to inspect and ensure the quality of work that you deserve. They pride themselves in working with you on a personal basis and making sure you are satisfied. Bell Construction, 515-963-4494. Welcome back. I'm Kelly Metro Collins with the Diocese of Des Moines. We have Rich and Kelly with us for just another minute or two. Yeah, Kelly, a minor mystery in the Mirror article about what was this song of Rich's that you said he sometimes plays ad nauseum, <laughs> but that was one of those little signs for you that kind of kindled your hope. Um, that came on Saturday when I was called for permission to... Um, do something with Rich as he was sedated. They called to ask for my permission as a consent to put a pick line in him for better IV access. And I just was, I started crying because I really just didn't, hadn't even put together that I was going to maybe be called and ask some of these decisions that are hard decisions to make. And um, as soon as I made that phone call or she, I hung up with her, 
I was sitting in my car in the garage. I had just gotten home from being tested myself. And immediately it was like right on cue. The song comes on and I immediately just started crying. And I said, okay, I know you're trying to talk to me. And thank you for giving me a sign, Rich, through God in this music, um, because I need it because I'm really, really struggling. And the song was Burn the Ship by For King and Country. It's one of Rich's favorite songs. And like I said, it came right as soon as I hung up the phone, that song comes on the radio. Okay. And. Go ahead, and, and just to follow on to that, that exact same song came on the radio as we were pulling into our development, and I was coming home to a place I was pretty sure I was never coming home to again when I left. And oh. it's about leaving behind the past and moving forward. It was beautiful. I'll have to take that in. Wow, that's, that's profound. So, so you, you, you've come home. And uh, whether you've returned to work at home or not, what would be your kind of concluding uh, graces that you felt? And, and again, uh, some people don't come home, and other families know that that ultimate separation. Are there any words or counsel, you know, your gratitude, but also to, to others? Yeah. Um, so, you know, really, as I, as I got home um, and just, you know, started to process everything because obviously it all happened pretty quickly. Working at, you know, the drugs wearing off, et cetera, et cetera. I just started to kind of write everything down uh, that was, uh, that I felt like God was putting on my heart. Um, and as I pull that up and, and just kind of look at the, the quick summary for you, um, at a high level, what it comes down to is uh, God was helping me to understand um, at a much deeper level just how much he loves me and just how much faith and trust i can have in all of his promises including the balance of my own life the gift that he's given me um that i don't need to worry about that i don't need to be concerned about those things i just need to keep my eyes on him and following what it is that he called me to do um, and he, you know, one of the things he pointed out is he, he, rich here. You were at a time in your life where you laid in that bed, unable to move or ask for anything. And I provided for every last thing that was needed to sustain your life. What a powerful, powerful message that was. Um, you sound like a free man. The, you sound like a free man, yeah, Rich. So. Absolutely. It Kelly, was, Kelly, is he free. easier to live with now? Is he is he less demanding? <laughs> oh, you're setting uh, me up here. Yeah. <laughs> He's definitely a different person. I think we're both different people, um, personality-wise, and the way we look at life. I have a, a different perspective on life as well as Rich, and um, we're just not the same people, I don't think, um, we were prior to this COVID experience. It has changed the way um, I look at things um, and just life in general, things are just looked at differently. It is, you know, we speak of the memento mori, the, the reminder of death, to kind of have death daily before our eyes as some of the, the uh, saints and others have counseled us. Is that something that hangs over you or is there a sense that, yeah, death is real, but uh, it doesn't have the, the hold over us that it might have before? So for me personally, and we've got about 10, it, sec- 15 seconds. Yep, sorry it, for the big yep, question it, with yep, short time. Sorry. <laughs> yep, it doesn't, it, it does not have uh, the hold over me. It was, it, it was a very freeing experience allowing me to live my life more freely. Thank you. Well, neither of you squandered the graces and our prayers of gratitude and uh, for many others affected by this. Thank you, Rich and Kelly for taking time for us today. 
This has been another bis- edition of Making It Personal with Bishop Jones. And you're listening to Iowa Catholic Radio on the Spirit Catholic Radio Network. You can hear Making It Personal with Bishop William Johnson every week on Iowa Catholic Radio and iowacatholicradio.com.